You're listening to the Go For Growth Podcast with Doug Hall. Welcome to the Go For Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Hall, and today I have a special guest with me, Mr. Peter Adams, the founder and, uh, and chief thinker and, and probably visionary of the Lighthouse Information Systems Company, which is a West Coast sort of Bay Area to Seattle focused uh, specialty company. And I'm going to let Peter explain it because it is a unique spin on information technology and IT. And I want you to pay particular attention to what Peter has to say about this, because I believe it can make a difference for you. So with that introduction, I want to uh, bring my friend Peter Adams and business colleague too. We, we, we network together. I want to bring him to the floor here and welcome him. Peter, welcome to the Go for Growth podcast. Thank you, Doug. Thanks for having me. So, Peter, I kind of teed things up by saying you had some special sauce, but I really want you to, before you get into that, take us back, because you founded Lighthouse some time ago, and I want people to understand how much history and gravity you have in this IT and business improvement space. So tell us a little bit of your background story. Okay. So I started, actually, I came out of college as a biochemist, really wanted a job as a doing research and uh, had a great opportunity to interview with a company that was full of PhDs and I only had a bachelor's degree and the guy I was interviewing with basically said without a PhD I was qualified to wash glassware and that's mm. not quite what I had in mind and it really got me thinking about you know what I had to do to to really realize an ambition and at that point in time I didn't have much of an ambition I just had I knew I wanted to be doing something to to help people, but I didn't know how. And I fast forward that a few years, and I was working for Shared Medical Systems, which was a big hospital management company based on the East Coast. And I basically be, was responsible for the installation and implementation of our hospital systems. And in the early 1980s, the... Uh, first attempt for at cost containment was uh, basically being rolled out and it's called ICD-9. And I was right there at the forefront of that. And I was basically responsible for the Western US um, in terms of our hospitals. And at that point in time, we had one hospital that was really making money and all the rest of them were not. And so I had to go spend a, a summer at this one hospital to understand what they were doing that was having them make money. And there were a bunch of things going on there that were really clever. The biggest takeaway from that is really that it was the way they had thought about their business and the questions they asked, the kind of answers they needed that drove how they thought about the, the systems they were using and the, the IT that supported it. And that was really an eye-opener for me. And at that point, I, I really said, it, so it's amazing. It's not about the technology, right? I can put, I can deploy the greatest technology on the planet, but if it doesn't actually solve a real problem, then it's kind of a waste of time and money. And so at mm -hmm. that moment, I really, my whole, everything kind of came together and I said, that's what I want to do. I want to help people build better businesses because it matters for you know not only their sake and their families and their employees and their employees' kids and sending the kids to college and all that kind of stuff, but really it's a, it's a way to to drive business and create a sustainable future. And I said, great. 
let me help people build better businesses because I understand the lever of technology. So I can use that as a lever to drive business forward. Mm. So, so you were 1983. Were, yeah. And well, and, and that was high tech then shared medical was pretty hot stuff. I remember that. Absolutely. They were, they were the 800 pound gorilla at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you had like the most advanced hospital information system out there and you were, in what I would imagine from the outside when I saw it, uh, I was at Burroughs at that time. So, you know, kind of a, another big mm -hmm. mainframe-ish kind of company. And, you know, we thought you guys were like the highest tech out there. So here you were. Yeah, well, certainly we thought so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you were. And, and, and then you came to this epiphany that it's not the technology. Right. That that was just it, it, it surprised me uh, when when I figured that out. So uh, has that been the guiding light for thirty years plus now? Pretty much, and what I find interesting as we work with customers, you know, all through the years and still true today, that a lot of people get wrapped up in the tool or the technology, right? They come to us and they say. I need a ERP system or I need a CRM or I need a new mail server, or whatever it is. They're trying to, to presuppose a, a particular solution without actually having a really good grasp on the problem they're trying to solve. Mm. So one of the things we do is we always try and take it back to what's the core problem that we're actually trying to solve and what would it look like when it's solved? Because that's what I want to orient around. And then I'll help them figure out what the appropriate technology is. Maybe it's an ERP system or maybe it's not. You know, as, a, as an example of this, we have uh, one of our clients um, who makes grills approached us with a fairly significant project to handle an inventory control problem they had. And so they were thinking they had about a $200,000 project in mind to solve this big inventory control issue. Because basically, long story short, what they had was lots and lots of inventory because they sold these grills and then they sold pellets to go in the grills. And so what they really made their money on was the pellets. The grills were kind of like, you know, the razor, the, the pellets were the razor blades. Right. And so all these bags of pellets looked exactly alike. And so they have warehouses full of them and they didn't know what they really had in stock and they're quoting, you know, delivery times and they go out and hunt the warehouse and find out, no, they were out of Applewood, but they had excess mesquite or whatever it was. And so they were really producing a problem for their customers. So we got invited in, we're looking around, we're, we're kind of doing a, our typical assessment to understand the nature of the problem. And when we finally figure out what it really is, we took a lunch break you know, our consultant uh, ran across the street to the local hardware store bought a color-coding label maker, came back after lunch, and started tagging bags with color-coded labels and solved their problem for about 120 bucks. Um, Interesting. Significantly, significantly different than what they had in mind. But it, I mean, no, kind of no, outcome. Like, no barcode, no fancy stuff, just color. Well, at this point in time, that was all that was needed, right? We solved yeah. the immediate problem. And that gave everybody the time to think about what a long-term solution would be that could scale. Clearly, just color coding isn't going to scale, but it was a major sure. step in the direction that relieved an immediate pain point and saved them a couple hundred thousand dollars in a system that probably would not have scaled either. Mm. So now, now we have the time because that pressure's off. Now we can actually figure out what a real solution is because when we start doing that and we look at integrated solutions across all the disciplines of the organization, 
Now we can say, okay, if actually what's needed really is a new ERP system to match the uh-huh. processes that the business needs today and what they anticipate they're going to need because the system they had was rooted in the past, not in the future. All right. So in this case, you use the color labels as sort of a, a stopgap. It, it relieved an immediate pressure. Is, do you normally find that kind of a stopgap with clients or just part of the time? Just sometimes. You know, that, that happens to be one really great case study. But the, the thing that's interesting to note is that stopgap lasted them about two years. So it hmm. really allowed us to take the time and them to take the time to, to really think about the future and plan and design the system they wanted to have rather than kind of knee-jerk their way into it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they would have had to be hasty, right, and might not have right. well, made the right choice. Yeah. Right. Well, what most companies end up with is a collection of systems, all for good reasons, right? but each system stands by itself, and you lack the integration between the systems, and that becomes an ongoing cost of the organization that's very high. It tends to show up in not just overall inefficiencies, but slow time to market, slow response to customers, poor business decisions, higher operating expenses, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All these things, which, mm-hmm. I mean, ha- they, they go on for, forever. And so I want to put a stop to that. I want to build help, help companies build efficient operations and organizations. Right. Well, that's a great example. You know, we, we may have kind of assumed it away, but kind of step us back and describe the sweet spot for lighthouse information systems. What, how do you really characterize what you do, the ideal client you serve and the ideal solution approach for that kind of client? So we're, we're really experts at what what I'll generically call the small medium business space and particularly around uh, manufacturing. Um, So help clarify that a little bit further. So small is probably on the, the $10 million a year revenue side up to large, which is maybe uh, half a billion for us. So that, that's kind of where we fit in that space. That's a pretty broad okay. space, but that, that covers it. Yeah. Geographically, we work along the Western seaboard from San Diego to Seattle. And all we require is that the, our clients have a major operation in one of, somewhere in that geography. They can have operations and offices you know, elsewhere. We have clients that are in Europe and, and you know, over in Asia and, and whatnot, but the, they all have some major presence here on the West Coast. And so mm-hmm. there's that. And then we also do work in other industries, so construction, agriculture, um, healthcare, um, not so much on the provider side, um, but on, on the, more on the delivery side of the, the, the bigger systems. We do a lot of work with venture-backed startups. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good you know, cross-section of uh, businesses in that space. Mm-hmm. So the theme of our podcast is go for growth. So give us some idea of how this fits into growth situations, what you consider to be growth situations. So there's two forms of growth. Right? One is growth of my own business. But what's more interesting is the growth of my customers' businesses. and that's. I have a lot more examples of, of that. So if you so poor systems basically promote poor process and pro- poor process acts like friction in your business. Everything slows down. It takes longer to do everything, which means the cost to get the end product into the customer's hands always is take, it's higher cost and takes longer. Okay. So 
I think our uh, approach is to figure out how to grease those wheels to build efficient operations so you can are faster to market, respond to customers more quickly, build product with less cost, right? Build better product. Um, so it's all those things combined. And then different customers have different, you know, variations on that theme, but it all kind of falls into those buckets. Mm-hmm. So our whole approach is about deeply understanding the objective of the business owners and the executives and then helping them make sure that their teams are lined up behind that and that the systems then support that vision. And so we use a, what we call a Kipsy model, which is basically to ask really good questions about the business. What, what, is it, what questions do you want to ask? What information do you need to answer those questions? What processes give rise to that information? What systems automate those processes? And finally, what infrastructure do those systems run in? And when we look at that that, approach. That's a sort of a, that's an abbreviation, right? With a Q. I I P I I S I. Q I P I S I quit, sort of quit, quit a C, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, yeah. but what what that does that gives us a way or methodology of working with our customers to try and elevate whatever the symptom is that they tend to bring to the table, get to the root cause or the root problem, and then build a solution mm-hmm. around that root problem so that we have lasting impact. Hmm. So what's an example of one of those? I mean, you use the color code for the pellets. You got another one in mind? Right. Uh, sure. So we were working, this is more of a, an M&A scenario, but we were working with a client in the San Francisco area that had uh, just recently IPO'd and they had made an acquisition of a private company up in Canada. Um, we were asked to go up and understand what uh, what they'd actually acquired and how we were going to integrate them, which I thought, initially I thought that was kind of strange to spend that kind of money and not have an integration plan in mind, but what, what do I know? So we went up to, up to Canada. We looked at this company. We did a bunch of interviews. And what we found is two things. Um, one is that they didn't own the IP to their product. And so we helped, helped our customer get that all handled. That was kind of a big surprise. But one of the other things that showed up is um, they were running an ERP system up there um, called Expandable, which was probably the best implementation of an ERP system I've ever seen. And what made it so interesting was that every action in the physical world had a corresponding action in the ERP system. So you could track product flow through their entire operation in dollars and units. And that wow. to me was absolutely amazing. And that is still, I did, we did not do the implementation, but that is but like my high watermark for what a, a good implementation should look like. And when we saw that, we basically told our customer not to do not to do the ERP conversion, but to leave them on their existing ERP system and do a roll-up into their system for financial reporting purposes. Because the original idea was that we were going to go in and basically replace their ERP system with a big fancy one. But yeah. their system was dialed in so well into their business and their process, and it was running so well, I did not want to do anything to, to disrupt that. Um, Interesting. That's kind of a, a, a strange example, but there you go. But a good one. And 
And I think you're, you have a bit of a specialty in this M&A area of being a real technology guide in the midst of, an, of M&A activities, right? Yeah, a lot of our client base is in the San Francisco Bay Area and they're venture-backed startups. So in the years that we've been working in that space, we've probably done close to 200 uh, transactions, which is a large body of work. A lot. Uh, is there anything, I mean, a lot of our folks on this podcast will have no I, no touchstone in venture-backed funded companies. What is, just as an aside, what how do they act? I mean, what drivers are there when there's VC funded sort of this startup mentality? What, what does that do to you guys in terms of helping them? Well, so it, it makes for a really interesting environment. Number one is they tend to be extraordinarily passionate about their product or their technology that they're trying to build. And they're all trying to change the world. And so they have a real, oh, yeah. almost evangel evangelical or evangelist type of approach. And that, mm -hmm. that kind of energy is really fun to couple to. The, the, vent, the VCs tend to only want to invest in companies where they can get a, you know, a really high return. And so they're looking to really drive those businesses. So there's a lot of focus on building for the future. And of course, for what we do, that's a natural fit and it's a lot of fun. But we also have to take in the pragmatic reality that only about 10% of those companies actually IPO. Probably another 20% or so are acquired and the remainder kind of either just kind of barely survive or go out of business. So yeah. while we have to build for that great future, we also have to take in the pragmatic realities of maybe they don't quite get there. So right. when we're working with those firms, we have to build them a platform and an approach that scales as they scale. It always has to stay slightly ahead of where they need to be, but it can't lag because then it slows them down. And slowing down, the, anything that takes more time to get them to market is death. So we have mm. to do everything we can to make sure that the entire technology infrastructure is never an impediment in allowing them to operate at optimum speeds. And it has to be, you know, obviously within a budget they can afford. Better sure. make them different than anybody else out there. No. And they may be well-funded. I mean, they may have an ample budget, right? Oh, some of them have huge budgets. But it's, and that certainly matters, right? It's always better to have more money than less. But, you know, there's no, no argument about that. But the biggest driver is more the vision of the executive team and how collectively their entire team is on the same page. If they're all heading in the same direction and lockstep, more often than not, they will be successful. One of the biggest things that kills those kinds of companies is they don't, they're not in lockstep. They're working at sometimes across purposes or they understand how to build the technology, but they don't understand how to satisfy a customer or put that product into the marketplace. And that's probably the, right. the one of the themes I wanted to hit on on growth. And that is the importance. And I'm not a marketer, so let me just clarify that. But marketing, which is basically, I think I think of it as two functions. One is listening to the marketplace to make sure that you build a product that the marketplace wants. And then the second one is making sure the marketplace is aware of what you've got. 
So it's, it's both halves of that. And I think marketing mm. is probably the single biggest key to building a business going forward, assuming that you have your you know, executive team on the same page. Because if you have that, right, if you have good marketing, you have a good executive team, I actually think in this day and age, uh, capital is not that hard to come by. And so particularly if you're a venture-backed company, you can get the capital. The, the VCs that we tend to work with have never been cash constrained. They're more constrained by time. And so if, if you can't perform, they don't want to fund. But if you can perform, they'll give you pretty much as much money as you need. Interesting. So on the theme of growth, uh, what's been the most helpful in growing Lighthouse? And is that the same as what you've observed in, in your client base? Well, so in the, the gold rush in, in California and the West Coast here, um, the people that actually went out and tried to mine the gold weren't the ones that made the money. It was the provider's to those people. Levi Strauss is a, mm. is a classic example, right? Yeah, there you go. Blue jeans, right? They're the ones who make the money. So right. we are a boutique company. We're not trying to be the, you know, the next, you know, Fortune 500 company. That's not what we do. So our growth is somewhat inherently limited by the fact that what I want to do is I want to be the company that enables other companies to be successful, right? I want those miners to go out and find the gold and reap the rewards. And obviously, if they're very successful, then we also are successful as well, riding on their coattails. That all works, you know, pretty well for us. But it also means that we are a smaller business. All of our all of our clients come to us by referral. Uh, Only in this last week, literally in this last week, that I have somebody approach us after looking at our website and just call us up. That is number one, and I've been doing this for now about thirty five years. So. Yeah, that's kind of slow lead generation. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Well, it it's you know slow but steady, and it's there's yeah. a lot of well, reasons that I do that. And right, there's reasons I do that in my business. But if if that's not the business model that you have or your listeners have out there, and that's why I kind of stress the you know specifically thinking about marketing because marketing is the magic sauce that allows you to know what the marketplace wants and is willing to spend money on and then make sure yeah. your products fit that. Because if you have a good fit to the product, to the market, and the market knows you exist, they will beat the path to your door. That's the role of marketing. Yep. You know, too often in Silicon Valley in particular, I see just great technology mousetraps for which there is no market. It's really cool technology, but nobody's buying. That doesn't build a business, right? I've seen the products out there that are actually not as good, clearly inferior products, and they win the day. So I'll date myself. You remember, remember the old uh, VHS versus Betamax? uh, Oh yeah, big big battle, big battle. Right, Beta, absolutely superior technology, no question about it. It took only a matter of seconds to see the difference, no question. Absolutely better technology. But VHS just completely took over the marketplace because Sony yep. could not make, they could not market the Betamax product and technology very well. Or Panasonic marketed VHS brilliantly. Yeah. So the better technology doesn't always win. The better marketing yep. almost always wins. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, I think you're right. And first of all, I I it's time tested that doing great work for your clients and, and having a referral lead generation is a proven way to grow. 
I commend you on getting your first web-based lead. So the challenge is, <laughs> that, that's awesome, man. The, the challenge is, well, how do, you, how do you ramp that up? How do you get more awareness out there? And I'm not saying today you and I are going to propose a solution to our listeners, but that is the question, right? Is for, right. You're, you, you operate among uh, scores and scores of IT service providers who, to the clients, many of you look alike, right? Yep, we do. We all that's look alike. We all say pretty much the same things. It's a big yep, problem. That's a problem. It's a big problem. And so, you know, that's one of the things I've been struggling with is how do I differentiate ourselves? And so yep. what we've been doing, you know, we, we're always doing experiments, right? We try to experiment with you know, different narratives in the marketplace to see what plays, what fits, different offers. Yep. All still on the inside, it's still the same group of people, the same skill sets that can deliver it. But we speak about it differently in the different market segments. You know, at this point in the game, we're speaking mostly about the work we do in ERP systems because that seems to be getting a lot of traction. You know, helping right. companies build process and build systems to automate those processes seems to be the thing that's really driving our new new business at this point. And that tends to pull in some of the other aspects of our business, which is all fine. But that that one thing, you know, I want to get known for doing ERP systems and being world class at that. And we don't resell them because I'm not interested in the resell. I'm, I think the implementation, the quality of that implementation matters more than the system they buy. In fact, I'll even go so far as to say you could take, you know, an average system and do a really good job of implementing it and you can get great results. You can you could also take a really great ERP system, implement it poorly, and get garbage. In fact, what yeah. you do is you actually get garbage faster. And that doesn't really yeah. help your business. So that no, implementation really is the key. That's where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. Yeah, I second you on that. I think you're absolutely right on. So it's uh, it's actually getting your message to your ideal prospect. You know, for in this case, if you focus on manufacturing, it's identifying, well, what kind of manufacturers does that look like? Is it in that sort of 10 to 500 million or is it more like 20 million to 80 million? Hmm. Interesting. Right. Narrow that down. And it, it's, yeah, in my if, I, if I narrow it down, right, it probably is closer to that, you know, 20 to 80 million is probably a really good way of putting it. That seems to be where the biggest turnover is, right? For those companies who almost all companies start on QuickBooks. And then when they start right. to have issues with inventory control, MRP, um, foreign currency transactions, anything like that, all of a sudden QuickBooks doesn't, doesn't really handle that well. And so they develop Excel spreadsheets around that. Or maybe they try and do a bolt-on product into QuickBooks. And right. that buys them another year or two, but it's not a good solution. It's a stopgap measure. The problem is mm -hmm. those companies tend to suffer because they wait too long to take the next step. That QuickBooks really ceases to be a viable tool for automating your business processes once you start yep. to need things that it doesn't do. And yep. so I want to pick up, I want to help companies at that point, right, invent a new future to take their business to the next level. And typically, you know, we, we do a lot of work um, calculating ROI because everybody's interested. Well, what's the return on the investment? And I will say for most ERP projects we work on, the return is within one year. 
and that's even with some fairly expensive ERP systems. Now, wow. I don't always recommend those, but my point is that, you know, a, an effective system should have a very quick ROI, right? It should not be expensive to the enterprise. It should actually mm. save you money pretty mm. quickly. I mean, it may be a sizable investment, but you're talking about a 12 month return. Right. It's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty amazing. I mean, I think most any business owner would be pretty happy with a significant IT return in a year. Uh, I, right. that's, that's what right. I was saying right. too. And, and there's, right. yeah, yeah. Right. There's lots of ways to get really creative about, you know, how to, how to phase it, how to, you know, do the implementation right. to mitigate, mitigate upfront costs and, and stuff. But anyway, but, but the point is really that, you know, a good system should show a return. And when you can show a return that, that quickly, what it tells me is they waited too long to take this step. You should, it actually oh, yeah. shouldn't be that fast a return. Right. Right. That right. means they're, already, they're actually true. already suffering with too many inefficiencies right now. Right. 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 Two or three years would make sense, would be reasonable. Right. A year is like, wow, you waited too long. Exactly. So here's a question that I think I'd like you to comment on what you and your partner do versus what you observe in excellent client situations is, are, do you have any favorite leadership tools or management tools that you use or recommend to people, you know, outside of the direct product you're helping them with? So it's in the vein of growth, like growing leadership capability or growing management capability. Yeah. So the, the number one challenge that I think all companies have, mine included, is communication. So mm. making sure that multiple people are on the same page, heading in the same direction with the same objectives and the same timeframes in mind. That's actually, you know, it's easy to say and it's very hard to do. Yeah. But there are it's some, almost a throwaway um, conversation, but it's not easy. Right. But there are some ways to, to help get there. And some of that's through some technology tools, but technology is not communication. It's just a medium for communication, often misused. Now, uh, everybody's familiar with, uh, you know, the tyranny of email where you basically drowned an email, but, you know, getting through your yep. inbox every day doesn't actually accomplish anything. No, no. So, you know, right. But, but email is a tool for communication, you know, along with internal websites, along with, uh, basically, you know, chat rooms or discussion threads, you know, like Slack and, and uh, Microsoft just released their product called Teams to try and yep. compete with Slack. Um, you know, these yep. are all tools, but they can be leveraged in ways to augment communication. But it's communication is also a cultural thing. As a business, you know, I've been in businesses where everything is very secretive. You, know, you walk up and down the hallway and all the, all the offices have doors and all the doors are closed. And that mm. basically that is an indicator of a certain type of culture that's not particularly communicative. On the other hand, I see these infrastructures or offices where everybody's open. You know, there's no walls anywhere. Everybody's talking. It's in central areas and there's noise all over the place. That is a picture of communication, but it also doesn't guarantee better communication. But that is no, usually an attempt right. by people to try that's right, but it's using an attempt of, of businesses to try and foment good communication by breaking down all those barriers like walls and doors. And so those kinds of companies tend to have a better return when they leverage technology because they are inherently trying to solve that communication problem. Got it. 
Okay. So what we do is we help our companies. We communicate fairly effectively. It is one of the things I think is our strong suit. And so we come into our clients and we kind of set the tone for what effective communication looks like. And just to give you a kind of a really mundane, silly example, um, which I call an email black hole, right? I send an email to somebody and I get no reply, no response. So did they get it? Did they read it? Are they acting on it? Do they have yeah. questions? What's going to happen? And so I look for an acknowledgement back. And the acknowledgement back can be thanks, got it, you know, whatever, right? I want to know right. that they got it. I want to know that they actually read it. And I think, you know, that is a simple etiquette. It's fine. But that also leads to just a whole bunch of email going on. So what if in the subject line of the email, you basically, you could write in the word decision. And that way, when somebody sends me an email and in the subject line, it has the word decision. I know that I have to read that email because there's something I have to, I have to make a decision, right? I have to take action right. on that email. Right? Right. Otherwise, it just shows up like nothing. And so there's a whole right. bunch of keywords that we can help train our customers on how to put that in the subject lines so that people know what to do with their email. Another, another yeah. thing that we tend to do. And is let me interject. People, Did, yeah. Let me interject something. That, that's a great idea internally, but it seems to me that you can also get value externally with it. Oh, absolutely. You, we do that with our customers and all of a sudden they start responding in kind. And so we, without actually having to go through and train them, we naturally lead and they see the effectiveness of that because it makes it so much easier for them. And that they, right. They it clarifies. That. Yeah. You're communicating, you're communicating an expectation in the subject line. Correct. Yes. Thanks for the interruption. Right. It, it, like you had another thought going. Well, yeah. I mean, so, you know, I don't know how many email messages you get. I get about 500 emails a day. So yeah, and I think you I got me beat. I got, lot, I got a, a more few, than, but not, yeah, not quite. Yeah, well, I know people get a lot more than I do. But yeah, you know, oh, if I absolutely. look at that, I probably 400 of those I'm CC'd on. They're actually right. just like FYI type emails. So if I don't segment those off, my inbox becomes overwhelming and I have to go through 500 emails every day. Right. So I just write myself a quick rule that says if I'm not on the two line, I'll just take that email and I'll push it off in a side email box. And maybe I read it, maybe I don't. I don't make a promise to read them. But I've got them if I ever have to refer to them. So that take, took my, my mailbox from 500 down to 100. Well, 100 is a manageable number. It's a lot, but it's still a manageable number. Now I can go through the subject lines and I can sort by those and I can say, here's the ones that are urgent. Here's the ones that need a decision. Here's the one that requires some sort of action. Here's the one that says delegation, right? I can go through those kind of things. And now I can very quickly go through my box, get the stuff that matters. So I keep the velocity and the pace of the business going. And that works way better only takes me an hour or so a day to go through all those messages mm -hmm. awesome great tip those are two yeah two really good actionable tips and if people don't understand how to write a rule for outlook or whatever that's a very good reason for them to uh, reach out to you peter <laughs> and you can yeah, either send them a little they can do that that's pretty easy stuff but yeah they can they can google, they can google that up fair enough fair enough now um I do want you to think of something in the background. Uh, one of the things that I love asking on these podcasts is, uh, is there any particular business book you're reading right now that's making an impression on you? Uh, and if you have any chestnuts, you know, any favorite business books, so kind of mull that over a little bit. 
Um, while you're doing that, is there any other management tool that you guys have found helpful in managing your team to make to meet customer expectations? So these two in, these two email ones are great tips, but any other to, favorite tools or things like you mentioned Slack or Teams? Do you push those into your clients? Um, only as appropriate. You know, the, what's interesting is the solution or the tool is not necessarily the best tool for all customers, but yeah. The, all, the, the, the world of technology, which is enormous today, by the way, and it changes on like an hourly basis. It's just giant, this giant pool of tools that we can bring to bear. And yep. so we just look at what the customer is trying to produce, what the culture is, what their vision is, how they're trying to get there, the skills of the team. Yep. And then we can figure out what the most appropriate tools are to help them get there. Excellent. Excellent. That seems like a very rational way to go rather than the brightest shiny object uh, technology. You actually look at the problem and make a recommendation. Right. Because the, the tool is, is the tool. I mean, so what? So you take two companies, one of them buys uh, XYZ tool and they implement it and it changes their whole business. Another company yeah. says, well, look, they bought that. I need to buy that. So they go out and they buy the same tool and they just leave it on the shelf. Well, it didn't do anything. Mm. Mm. It was just a cost. Right. So it's not about the tool. It, it's about how you think about your business, how you drive it, how you implement that tool, and how you really drive its usage. If you can do those things, then you can capitalize on, on all the, the promised you know, productivity benefits that IT is supposed to deliver. Most companies don't do that, and you get mediocrity. You get IT that's a, that's a cost instead of a real driver of your business. There you go. So, um, okay, now's the book question. Are you reading anything right. really interesting right now? I am. I just finished a book, which I found really good. It's called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. He was, mm -hmm. uh, I guess, the former lead hostage negotiator for the FBI. And he, in his book, I, mean, I don't want to give it away, nor you can interpret it on your own, but he basically talks about negotiation skills which are the fundamentals of communication and how that translates from his world um, and hostage negotiations to the business world. And they're wonderful parallels. Uh, anyway, it's a pretty quick read. I thought it was an excellent book and it's very pragmatically applicable. So uh, that's, nice. that's been my that's, number one book uh, in the last few weeks. Good. That's a great recommendation. The, um, the other kind of angle is, you know, thinking all the things we've talked about during the podcast, the, if you had to net it all down to sort of your number one piece of advice for somebody that's building a business, you know, they're not just sitting on it, keeping it warm, but they're really building their business. What's your, num what's your best advice to them if they're listening in on this? So I, I would say the number one thing is to have a plan. Now I'm, I'm not talking about a I'm not talking about a business plan like you're going to go out and try and get somebody to loan you money or whatever. I'm talking right. about a plan. What market do I want? What offer do I want to make? How do I get to be world class at that one thing? Who do I need on my team to deliver that? How do I get them? How do I attract them? Right? Have that plan in place. If you don't have a plan, then you get pushed around by the market. And that may be okay, but at that point, what you're doing is you're treading water until you develop a plan. Because until you have a plan, you're not going to grow. Because you have, there's no destination. You're just going to tread water, unless you just get lucky. And I'd never want to discount luck. 
But if you really want to build a business, you got to have a plan. That makes perfect sense. And uh, sounds like very wise advice uh, born from experience. So if people want to know more about you and Lighthouse, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Well, probably the website, which is at lighthouseis.com. Um, okay. That's probably the best way to get a hold of us. I'm, I'm, my, our contact information is readily available. I do accept phone calls and be happy to you know, talk with you. Perfect. That's all we can ask for. Yeah, lighthouseis.com. Peter Adams, you've been a delightful guest, shared great wisdom. I thank you. You and I look forward you. to seeing. Pleasure being on look your forward show. to seeing. Good. I look forward to seeing you soon. And everybody out there, don't hesitate to reach out to Peter. I mean, this is not normal IT stuff. This is business wisdom with IT wrapped around it. So that's a little something special. So thanks again, Peter. Thanks everybody for joining us on Go for Growth podcast, and we'll see you on the next episode. The Go for Growth podcast is sponsored by Resources for CEOs. We help overworked business owners take back control of their time, build a team-driven company, and multiply profits. Get your free copy of How to Get What You Want from Your Business at resourcesforceos.com slash guide.